Well, good morning. How we doing? Thank you, sir. Thank you, Steve. Y'all doing good? Okay, okay. Eagles or Mahomes? That's good. That's good. That's good. I could, I could not care any less about this Super Bowl than any of the other ones since 1995. <laughs> hey, so the other night I was... Um, I, I bought my son, our three-year-old Wells, I bought this little marble maze tower. You know, you drop the marble and it does all those cool, crazy things. And as, uh, as we're playing with it, I, I tell him, I said, I, th- I think I had one of these when I was a kid. And he immediately responds, did you get it at Target? Which might seem out of left field uh, for those of you that aren't familiar with our family, but he does think everything comes from Target. And the reality is most things in our home do come from Target. And so it's a fair assumption. But I said, no, buddy, I've probably got it at KB Toys. Anyone remember KB Toys? Used to go down in Collin Creek, go get off the escalator, and all of its glory was right in front of you, KB Toys. And my son was fascinated by this idea of a store with the name Toys in it. And so we stopped playing the marble game, and, and suddenly we started looking at pictures of KB Toys, and then I found myself trying to explain bankruptcy to a three-year-old which I barely understand it myself, so you can imagine how that went. But, but I say all that because it, it made me think, it's fascinating that, that my son, he really won't have any idea of a toy store, right, other than a few specialty stores, but, but he, there will be most likely no walking into KB Toys or Toys R Us or, or whatever other toy stores were around back in the day. In fact, his kids might not even really know what a storefront is. I think by then Amazon will just like install little portals in our house and two day shipping will become two minute shipping and things will just appear in your kitchen. But if you think about it, there have been massive changes, right? And not just in retail, but in in politics, social changes, identity changes. Our world seems to be in a constant state of changing. Author, engineer, Peter Diamdis wrote in his most recent book, The Future is Faster Than You Think. He said, we're going from the birth of agriculture to the birth of the internet twice in the next century. This means paradigm shifting, game changing, nothing is ever the same. Again, breakthroughs. And as we continue to experience exponential change at an unprecedented rate, you begin to wonder, how are we going to cope with this? How are we going to keep up with all the change? And obviously, all of you in here know how quickly things are changing. You don't need me to tell you that. But the reason I do tell you is because, you know, Gary kicked off this series last week, moving from comfort to compassion. And, And he challenged us that to move from our comfort to compassion is going to require change. And, and for almost all of us in the room, at best case scenario, change brings about mixed feelings. And for many of us, change just brings an increased dosage of anxiety, fear of the uncertainty. And this kind of makes sense. And I'll tell you why. Because psychologists believe that our brains can only keep up with so much change in a short amount of time. In fact, I'll read you something um, that a professor at University of California, Berkeley said, John Powell, he says, 
that when societies experience big and rapid change, a frequent response is for people to narrowly define who qualifies as a full member of society, a process I call othering. Othering is not about liking or disliking someone. It is based on the conscious or unconscious assumption that a certain identified group poses a threat to the favorite group. So when we are overwhelmed with change, the natural instinct of our mind is to find little shortcuts and to make little categories so that we can keep things simple, right? And in, in essence, our brains help us form these us versus them mentalities. And if the last few years can be defined anyway, it seems like us versus them. It doesn't matter so much who the us or the them is. It seems like we are always waging war against something in our society. And what we do is when our brain begins to create these little shortcuts, create this us versus them narrative, then someone's gotta be out. Our brains are gonna tell us we're in, but if we're in, then naturally someone must be out. And to be out or to be someone who you think or feels does not belong is to be an outcast. And so as, as we as a society change in an unprecedented rate, and the bonds that tie the us and the thems together tighten every single day, it begs the question, what is our response as the church? What is our response to changing at unprecedented rates? What is our response towards a further gap in our society that says certain people belong and certain people don't belong? It's compassion. That's the way forward for Jesus. And this week, we're gonna look back at Matthew where we'll see how Jesus displays for us compassion for the outcast. Heather read it. I'm gonna walk through verse by verse, make a couple points, then we'll call it an afternoon. Verse 29 says, as Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed them. So Jesus is leaving Jericho, right? One thing you need to know about Jericho is that it was a pretty luxurious city, okay? It had a nice tropical like climate to it. Herod was said to have built a winter palace just outside of Jericho. And because of sort of the nature of the city and its luxurious feel, it attracted a lot of business. And therefore by attracting a lot of business, it also attracted a lot of people like these two men in the stories, beggars to line the roads leading in and out of Jericho in hopes that some of these beggars might just catch a lucky break with a generous businessman who was either coming to or from Jericho. I say all that because we find Jesus in a fairly common situation, but an uncommon response. Look at verse 30, it says, two blind men were sitting by the roadside and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. So just for a minute, kind of put yourselves in the shoes of these two men sitting outside of Jericho, right? Somehow scripture tells us that they had intel that the Messiah was approaching. I don't know if they looked a little bit further down the road and just saw a big old crowd walking. Maybe they could see Jesus coming or maybe just the rumors that the Messiah was approaching had sort of telephoned its way down the line of beggars and got to them. But either way, scripture says that they heard Jesus was coming. 
And I imagine that they were filled with great, great anticipation and excitement. They were probably thinking, yes, this could be our lucky break. What a great day to decide to come and sit out on the road leading out of Jericho because the Messiah is coming. He could change everything for us. This could be the best day of our life. But I gotta be honest. I can't help but wonder if there was a little bit of a sense of skepticism. Do you think in the way, way back of their brain, they thought, what if he doesn't see me? What if he's passing by and he chooses to heal someone else? What if he's in such a rush that he just sort of moves forward? What if Jesus doesn't see me? If Jesus doesn't see me, will anyone ever see me? I got to live in Washington, D.C. about 10 years ago, and I interned at a a church in a nonprofit, and Washington, D.C. has the 10th highest homeless population in the country. And so one evening I'm uh, taking the metro into the, the city. I was technically living in Arlington and I, and I got off and I started walking down a busy sidewalk and I, I saw about, I don't know, maybe 10 yards in front of me, a homeless lady sort of in an abandoned storefront kind of perched up right there. Okay, but I was in a rush and I was confident I knew how to handle this situation, just avoid eye contact at all costs. The problem with that strategy is I'm a starer, okay? My wife will tell you that. So if if I'm ever at coffee or lunch with you, don't do that thing where you you tell me something that's happening behind me, but then tell me not to look because naturally I'm going to look. And so as I get closer and closer, I think I can just sneak a look. Mm, Problem number two, I'm not very sneaky. And so as I just begin to sort of cock my head over and, and look at her thinking I can steal a quick glance, I mean, we locked eyes like that. It's like, ugh, I lose. And so I just turn real quickly, walk a few paces in front of her, and then like a verbal bomb, she yells out, you look at me like I don't even exist. And you think about it. There's a lot of things that scripture says about Jesus. But you know what was never said about Jesus is that he looked at anyone like they didn't even exist. For God, no one is on the fringes, is far enough on the fringes to cease existence. God sees even the most broken, marginalized, outcast-like people because no one, no one goes unnoticed in the eyes of the Father. And part of that's because God and Jesus is willing to look in the places where so many of us desperately try to avoid. Jesus was not afraid to go into the shadows and in the corners and turn over the rocks that no one else wanted to turn over. And in those places, he sees everyone. And you might, you might be here this morning and think, it's funny that you're talking about outcasts because the one place I feel like I do not belong is the church. And maybe you just slipped in here and and I don't know why, I don't know what we'll call the spirit of God just kind of led you to sink down in a chair and hope that no one notices you because you feel like you cannot belong within these walls. I'm sorry that you've been lied to because Jesus sees you because he is a God who sees the outcast, not the sin, not the past history, not what you did last weekend, but he sees you right now. And he says, I want you. 
I want you. And that's not all he does. It gets better, I promise. Verse 31. The crowd rebuked them and told them, be quiet. But they shouted all the louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Now, I'm, I'm lucky that I've never been in a situation like these two men were in. But I imagine for those who have been put in to similar situations is you get acquainted with the feelings of being overlooked and ignored pretty quickly. At some point in your life, the shadows kind of become just normal. But not for those in the path of Jesus, right? Not for those in the path of Jesus. Because Jesus heard these men crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy. And not just once, but twice. And instead of listening to the voices of destruction that said, be quiet, that rebuked them, Jesus instead listened to the voice of desperation. And if you're in a position this morning, if you're in a place this morning and where you're tired, you're desperate, you feel like you've tried everything, but, but you still wear and carry this heavy burden. If, if you're in this place and you feel like you don't belong, then the invitation is to cry out, Lord, son of David. And if the world tells you to be quiet, Cry out again, cry out even louder because God not only sees, but he hears the outcast. He attunes his ears to even the darkest, most broken, desolate corners because Jesus hears the outcast. Verse 32 says, Jesus stopped and called them, what do you want me to do for you, he, he asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Now, not only does Jesus see and hear the outcasts, but look at the verb there in verse 32. He stops, he stops. And, and, and Gary talked about this last week, but, but the third thing we notice about the compassion for Jesus is that he is available for the outcast. Right? So much of Jesus's compassion is derived from his ability to stop and make himself available. Right? And, and moving from comfort to compassion is going to require sacrifices in our schedule, in our agenda, in our to-do list. But let me either encourage or discourage you. I'm not sure. But you know where Jesus was heading? Look down a couple of verses the next uh, subtext in my Bible says, Jesus comes to Jerusalem as king. You know what that is? That's Palm Sunday. Jesus is about to get up on that colt and ride in with the palms and the Hosanna, Hosanna. And then a few days later, he was gonna be crucified on the cross. And, and so the, the question I have for you, and, and you're not gonna like it, and it's a question I've been asking myself all week, but if Jesus found time to stop and deliver someone on the way to the cross, then what excuse do you and I have to be too busy? I'm out. I, I don't have any, right? 
And I really do think one of, one of the biggest obstacles in our way from moving from comfort to compassion is that we have to give up the comfortability of controlling our schedule and our agenda and our to-do list, right? And the reality is we've, we've become too busy to be interrupted and to be available in the ways that Jesus was. And so still wanting to, to try our best to be lukewarmish, obedient, what, what I think we end up doing a lot of times is we're like, yeah, I'll, I'll show compassion, but I'm gonna do it the expedited way. I'm gonna do it the way that has shortcuts. And so instead of actually stopping to spend time with them, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna twist their arm. I'm going to assimilate them into believing and thinking and acting and looking like a little replicate of me because that'll be the faster way. It's just take those who don't belong, take the thems and make them part of the us. But I don't get that that's what Jesus meant. That seems like a cop-out for relational investment. Jesus says, stop. What do I do when I stop? Look at verse 32. What do you want me to do for you? He asks. Can I give you just a, from scripture, just a real, real easy practical step at showing compassion? Ask more questions. Ask more questions. Jesus asked 307 of them and he only answered three. Okay, and, and he knew a lot more than us. And so he should have any right to talk more than we do and zero reason to learn. And yet he still stopped to listen and to ask questions. You wanna show compassion? Ask questions. What do you want me to do? Verse 33, we're almost done kind of. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. And Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes and immediately they received their sight. And so immediately these men, they're on the side of the road, right? And, and, and Jesus comes over to them, he touches their sight and suddenly their eyes are open and they're seeing in full color and the vibrancy that the Lord God intended them to see with, right? And this would have been an incredible, incredible moment. But notice what Matthew tells us about Jesus's reasoning for his miraculous healing, his compassion, his compassion. And look, it's a good thing I'm not the Messiah, which is probably the understatement of eternity. But if I were, I'd heal people. I'd heal a lot of people. But let me tell you why I'd heal people. So people would think I'm cool to garnish a bigger, better crowd and to grow my brand, right? That's why I would have healed people. But for Jesus, What's the reason he heals? Compassion. Compassion drives the miraculous healing for Jesus. And while, while these men received their sight, and that was certainly a game changer, let me tell you what the real miracle is. Being seen, being heard, and the Messiah stopping for them. That's where the real life change came because the love always precedes transformation. I was reminded of this a couple, a couple years ago. Uh, I was doing junior high ministry and this kid walked in. I'd never seen him. I'd never seen him before. And I, I could tell that he wasn't real interested in, well, anything that we were doing. And so, but that's like half of the junior high kids in a junior high ministry typically. <laughs> but this kid was particularly uninterested. I'll say it that way. And so, after the service is, is I, I kind of talked to him and, and he wanted nothing to do with church. 
wanted nothing to do with God. He was this really smart kid and uh, yeah, just, just was out. And, and so we're kind of engaging in a conversation, which maybe becomes like a little bit more of an argument. And so am I confessing here that I was arguing the existence of God with a 12 year old a couple years ago? Yeah, maybe, but it is what it is, right? And so the, the reason I tell this story though, is that clear as day, I mean, it just felt like the Holy Spirit just impressed on me in the middle of this conversation with this uh, seventh, eighth grader. You will never argue him into the kingdom of God. You can try loving him though. Wow. If you think about it, I don't think people are really argued into the kingdom of God very often. I mean, even with the most compelling intellectual persuasion, rarely does that bring someone in to the kingdom of God. But typically, it's when someone mimics Jesus and they see someone, they hear someone and they stop and they make themselves available and they mimic the compassion of Christ. That's typically how people through the spirit of God in us enter into the kingdom of God because love precedes transformation. And so this morning, as we lay on the side of the road outside of Jericho, let's assume that the Messiah, Jesus, is asking us the same question. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do for you? The reality is for a lot of us in here, we need a fresh vision. We need a fresh vision of the kingdom of God, which is full of compassion and kindness and mercy and generosity. We need the spirit to come in and shake some things up in our life so we, like these men, can have our sight of the kingdom restored. We need to see the kingdom of God again in vibrancy and full color in the way that God intended. And so I wanna give you three really, really practical steps. And they're probably not the only three and you might be able to think of better or three better steps, but just three practices, let's say, of things that we can do to help show compassion. And then I just wanna give you a couple different places that you can do that. And so the three practices, one is caring for the spiritual and physical needs, right? We, we believe that when God sent his son, Jesus, to bring about redemption and reconciliation. He came to redeem all that was broken. And that certainly includes the brokenness of man, the brokenness of humanity that had a severed relationship with God. He came to restore and redeem that. But that's not all that's broken in our world. The reality is in our world, it is broken that 29,000 people lost their lives because of a natural disaster. That's broken. And so just like that, God also invites us in to be part of redeeming the fallen and broken parts of our world, like earthquake relief or helping those who are hungry or need a blanket and a place to stay or those who struggle with loneliness or mental illness. If we believe that God came to restore all that is broken, then we also can participate in not just the spiritual healing, but also the physical healing. The second thing is we affirm Dignity. Genesis 1, 26 tells us that we are all stamped with the image of God. 
I can't think of anything more dignifying that you can say about someone, okay? So unless, unless you have some special translation of your Bible that tells you that only certain people are stamped with the image of God, when you refuse dignity to someone, you refuse the stamp, the image that God has placed on their life. And if you wanna mess with that stuff, you do you, but I'm staying away from that, okay? It's not my place to say who is made in the image of God. And I don't think it's your place or my place to say who gets dignity and who doesn't. And so we affirm dignity. And then third and finally is listen intently. Invest, make yourselves available. This doesn't require a, a, a high degree in social, a, a high degree. You can tell I have very high degrees by the way I worded that sentence. An advanced degree, I think is what I was going with. It doesn't require an advanced degree in, in sociology or social work. It just requires you asking questions and listening, looking someone in the eyes, maintaining eye contact. Also listening, when I say that, I mean not like the kind of listening where you're thinking about what you're gonna say, but honestly listening and hearing them, right? Listening intently, making ourselves available. And so three things that we can do, caring for the spiritual and physical needs, affirming dignity and listening intently. Now, let me tell you a couple places you can do that. One is homeless kids. I don't know if, if you knew about this. I, I really honestly didn't until I was talking with Richard uh, earlier this week. But if you go online, and I apologize for, for not having this list, but if you just Google homeless kids, okay, tons and tons of things will come up. But the idea is you go, and I actually did go and, and get one of these, and I forgot it up here on stage. But if you go and you buy all these different things, and, and you don't have to buy everything, but I feel like I, I made a meaningful kit of things that could really benefit someone who is down on their luck living on the streets for less than $20 at Walmart. And it just had things like tuna and crackers, granola bars, some gloves, some hand warmers, some basic hygiene items like deodorant and nail clippers, sanitizer. Got it all for less than $20 at Walmart, right? And, and what if for me, instead of when I get to 75 in Walnut Hill, where I always know there's gonna be a couple homeless people, instead of trying to dodge eye contact, what if instead I rolled down my window and said, hey, I wanna give you something because I believe in you and I believe even more in the God who loves you. It's not a long conversation, but at least that is an opportunity to begin to move from comfort to compassion. University of Texas at Dallas is four miles away from here and it's home to 5,000 international students from 100 different countries. Now, let me be clear, being not from here or America doesn't automatically make you an outsider or an outcast, but I do think the reality is, is that when you are far away from home, living in a new place, living in a foreign place, I would imagine it can be easy to feel isolated and to feel like you don't belong. Most, I don't know about most, but a lot of UTD students will go their four years of undergrad, international students, and might never get invited into the home of an American. And so there are tons of opportunities in which you can invest at University of Texas at Dallas. We have a partnership with the Baptist Student Ministries and we would love to get you involved in that. And then finally, if you go to the heights.org slash cities, there's a couple different, way, uh, couple different places around our community that we as a church are partnering with organizations to show compassion in some of the darkest corners of our city. 
Just a minute when we dismiss, I've asked Kathleen Sotomayor, who's our local missions pastor, to be at the next step room, and she would love, and I mean, she really would love to help anyone get involved in some of these different areas and opportunities where you can show compassion for the least of these, compassion for the outcast. But as we close, some of us need to answer a different question. Remember where Jesus was heading? Jerusalem, to the cross. And it's compassion that moved Jesus along the road of Jericho, right up to the cross in which he was crucified on. And look, we may not be physically in need of healing this morning, but rest assured, for some of us in this room, healing is certainly on the table. And for some of us, God wants you to know. God longs for you to know that he sees you and that he hears your cries and that he wants to stop and he wants to meet with you. And if this story shows us anything, no one is too far gone, no one is too far in the shadows or the fringes to escape the look and the love and the ear of God. And it's compassion that moved him to the cross. And because Jesus left Jericho and went up to that cross and he was killed and he was crucified, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again three days later and conquered the grave. And so if you repent, believe and follow him. Also notice verse 34, these men then followed him. So if you follow him, then we can be part of his kingdom that is full of compassion. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who shows us compassion, Lord. And, and Father, you don't show us compassion like we show each other compassion, Lord, but, but compassion for you is unfathomable, it's unthinkable, it is endless and it is overwhelming, Lord. And so Father, I pray that if there's anyone in this room who has not drunk deeply from the well that is your compassion, that this morning would be the first morning that they do that, that they know that they are seen and they are heard and that you want to stop and have a relationship with them, Lord. And Father, for the rest of us in this room, Lord, may you continue to move whatever needs to be moved around in our lives so that we can leave our comfort zones and march forward towards compassion. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen.